our lives are different than men in medicine in so many ways. And it has to do with being female and all of the reproductive burden that is put on us because of that. Welcome to Moms of Medicine. I'm your host, Allie Trainer, and that was Dr. Celeste Royce, who is an OBGYN at Beth Israel Deaconess. I'm especially grateful for Celeste and you'll hear why in this interview. We talk all about her experience having a baby when she was in a private practice with all male colleagues, feeling ostracized, the challenges of treating pregnant women while pregnant, becoming unintentionally pregnant with twins, and how she and her husband made the decision that he would quit his job and stay home to raise their kids. And in the second half, we talk about her experience having adult children, which isn't something we've delved too deeply into on the podcast before. This is one of my favorite part of the interviews because she talks about navigating serious illness with two of her adult children and how that was for her as a physician with all this medical knowledge, but also as a mom who's trying to be supportive while allowing her children to make their own decisions. Also, I have to apologize. I had some audio issues with my mic that I wasn't aware of until after the recording. So please forgive my rookie mistakes and stay tuned for some better audio next time. So with all of that, please enjoy this conversation with the first OBGYN guest on the podcast, Dr. Celeste Royce. So I'm super excited to chat with you. Um, and thank you for joining the podcast. Um, and yeah. for, for people listening who may not know you, if you could just share your name, what you do for work and a little bit about your life outside of work. Sure. Um, my name is Celeste Royce. I am a generalist OBGYN physician. Um, I've, uh, I currently work as kind of a hospitalist or laborist, so covering labor and delivery and hospital medicine for OBGYN. Um, but in previous times, I've been an academic generalist for about 20 years now. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do for work. Um, I also am very involved in medical education. So I am a clerkship director for OBGYN for our department. And uh, have been the uh, course director for a number of different courses at our medical school, as well as most recently, and this is what I'm super excited about, is uh, being a co-director for a medical education fellowship called the Rapkin, which is how we know one another. Yes. And I have to say, I know it was your first year and you did a fantastic job. So I'm excited <laughs> for the future Rabkin fellows to uh, you as the leader. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then outside of, outside of, medicine. Um, I have uh, three children who are young adults. Um, I have a little pit bull dog. I like to ride my bike. I like to run. I like to work out. Um, I enjoy the outdoors. I like to hike. Um, and, um, and I like to read. That's awesome. I'm going to have to ask you for some book recommendations. Are you reading anything good right now? Sorry, I'm I'm putting you on the spot. Oh no. I mean, there's so many (laughs) good things. I'm reading uh, something called, um, we have raised you all. I think is what it's, it's called. It's about it's a nonfiction and it's about um, motherhood in the antebellum mm. South. Oh wow! Yeah, that it sounds fascinating. It's, it's very very cool, and it looks like it looks at um, white women. It looks at black women. It looks at indigenous women. Um, it's um, it looks at how health affected women's roles, how mm. mother affected. It's, it's a fascinating. Wow. I'm I'm excited. That's uh, appropriate for <laughs> our shared interests. Um, and I think many of our listeners might be interested as well. Um, so I'll have to check that out. Um, and so I wanted to chat with you for multiple reasons today, which I'm sure I'll get into first, which I'm really excited about is your, for our OBGYN 
podcast. Um, and so I'm sure you have some insights there. And um, I've, you know, heard little snippets of what your life being a mother and a physician has like past year as you've been the the Rapkin Fellowship. But the the first thing that really brought to mind you to be a guest is that when I was pregnant and shared with you that I was going to be out on leave and unfortunately missing some of the beginning of the Rabkin Fellowship, I remember calling you and I was super nervous because you were the one of the first people that I told. And I didn't actually really even, I don't think we had even met in person at the time. No, we hadn't. It was just Zoom. Yeah. And you were so incredibly kind and supportive and shared some of your own stories and was home. And I came downstairs like teary eyed and he's like, Oh my gosh, did it go badly? And I was like, no, she was so nice. (laughs) And, um, you know, pregnancy hormones and all, but I remember you saying to me that you had had some challenging experiences and your takeaway from it was let me make it better and pay it forward for women. So how did you come away from your, I know we'll get into some of your experiences, but you know, how did you come away from your experience with that perspective? Um, because I think that's what we need. And I am still so grateful for you. Well, first of all, thank you. And um, it's um, it's interesting being at this point in my career, you know, um, been practicing medicine for quite a while now and um, how, how much has changed and how much mm-hmm. has been the same. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think we, we, many people go into medicine to make things better for other people. And I, 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 that's my philosophy. That's kind of why we're here on this planet is to make things better for other people. And, and however we can do that. And for, you know, women in medicine, one of the things we can do is, is be welcoming to the fact that our lives are different than men in medicine in so many ways. And it has to do with being female and all of the reproductive burden that is put on us because of that. Um, I, and I don't mean to um, exclude people who are don't conform to a gender binary. I think that um, you know there are there are many people who are affected by. Um, by discrimination and and uh, an unwelcoming atmosphere in medicine, but I think specifically around motherhood, there are issues that um, that women or mothers are expected to handle and to suck, suck up, if you will, <laughs> and um, and they don't apply to other people, and yeah. uh, and I think that kind of transcends race and ethnicity. But uh, I think it's also worse for people who face those kind of um, challenges of being, um, you know, non-traditional med- medical people as well, and 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 perhaps worse. Um, Absolutely. I think one of the things that, you know, uh, women of of my age or older, perhaps, um, you know, who had their kids back in the day of six week maternity leaves and. Um, you know, coming back to work, nursing and and pumping and all of that horribleness. Um, that's that was really uh, you know tough, really tough. Yeah. And again, if we can make it better for those who come after us, gosh, that's we got to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, you know you mentioned your your kids are a little bit older now, and I think in some of our prior 
episodes, we've focused a lot on the the pregnancy baby phase. Um, and I think you have a, a wealth of experiences you can share with us, but I remember you sharing some of your stories when you were having your kids. And I was hoping you could just share a little bit of that with our listeners, because I think it is really telling of what some people have gone through and where we are now. Yeah. Um, so I um, had my first child, my daughter, um, when I was uh, 34, almost 35. I'd been in practice for a couple of years. Um, I was working um, at a um, in um, in Berkeley, California, um, and the group that I was working with was all male OBGYNs, right? Um, and um, my the expectation was that I would not take any time off before the baby, and I would come back at six weeks. And it's crazy. I had, and, and I, I thank goodness had, uh, you know, uh, purchased the short-term disability. So oh, okay. I had, so I actually had some income, but unfortunately I developed, um, preterm labor, no surprise. And yeah. at that point, at that time, uh, the treatment was, you know, uh, decreased activity and even bed rest. No, we don't do that anymore, but, um, that I, I had to go out from work. And, um, and my colleagues were mad at me and like, it, that was not good. <laughs> yeah. How um, I'm just sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just so curious because there's this fascinating dichotomy here where your job and the job of your colleague is taking care of pregnant women. So it's not like you could even say there was ignorance around what the necessary healthcare treatment was for you. So how how did you navigate that? It's just, I don't know. That's so shock. It's so shocking and not so shocking. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the short answer is I didn't stay in that practice particularly long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's hard too. I mean, that even that is, you know, switching jobs and, you know, having a young family is no small feat either. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it, you bring up an interesting point because these were men who physicians who in many circumstances would put their, their patients interests before anything else. But when it came to their own economic financial interests, it was a different story. And, you know, I wasn't pulling my weight. And so, you know, there were some consequences for that from um, like, being a little bit ostracized from the practice, um, and, and being felt being made to feel that I would, I really didn't belong there. Mm. Um, that's so hard to, again, just thinking of that, you know, you, this is what you would recommend to your patients, but do you think there was some sort of element of, you know, which I think still exists in medicine, but maybe it was more prominent years ago that, you know, you need to suck it up and put your personal health aside for your patients and your colleagues. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You know, the idea of, of, um, being the first woman in a, I wasn't the first woman in the community, but I was certainly the first woman in that practice. Um, and, um, just breaking into that, that assumption that we will sacrifice everything for our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these were, that was, 
from an OBGYN perspective, that was back in the day when everybody went into the hospital to deliver their own patients. And it was, that was an expectation. And to ask your colleague to cover a delivery for you was a big deal. And I, I'm happy to say that as throughout my career, that expectation on the part of patients has really changed as, as it has amongst physicians. And I think it really has to do with women being in the field, like women get it. Definitely. There. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, would I like my own, would I like to deliver my own patients? Absolutely. Would I, as a, as a delivering person, would I like my own OB to be there? Absolutely. But I'd also, I also totally understand that that they have a life, right? Totally. So. And so then, so you have, you, you're on bed rest, you have your daughter, and then you, you went back to that same practice at six weeks. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And what was that like? Uh, you know, all the hormones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was somewhat fortunate in that um, she was born in March and my husband was a high school teacher. And so by the time I was going back to work, there was just a very short gap there where before he was going to be home for the summer. So we didn't have to worry about childcare too much. My mother-in-law was around and that sort of thing. Um, but, um, it, uh, it was, you know, it's just being away from your baby and trying to pump, trying to find a place to pump, even in a, you know, in an office situation where you have the luxury and privilege of being able to go into a room and close the door. It's still hard. You still have to like, carry that stupid pump around. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And did you stay at the same practice before having your second pregnancy or you had moved somewhere else? We had moved and we had actually moved, uh, to my hometown, Santa Barbara. Okay. And it's a beautiful um, hometown. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It has its pros and cons. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful weather. (laughs) Um, yeah. And so I, um, unexpectedly became pregnant unexpectedly mm-hmm. with twins you would think an yeah. out, but yeah sometimes things happen I appreciate uh, you sharing that too that uh you know OBGYNs can sometimes have that happen as well no <laughs> um so yeah so and that was uh, uh an adventure um I I think I I think I, like a lot of people, went into a twin pregnancy um, really naive about uh, what can go wrong. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm extraordinarily thankful that I had very minimal complications. Um, I did, you know, develop gestational diabetes and um, I didn't develop preterm labor. Though. That was, I, I kept hoping that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. No. <laughs> um, That's amazing. And this was in a, so, so this was um, now working at um, a medical clinic that served a, a very diverse patient population. Um, and Santa Barbara is an interesting place to practice medicine because it's geographically isolated from a lot of places. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's geographically isolated from a lot of places. And then North County is very, very rural. Um, and so it's difficult for patients to, um, you know, sometimes access healthcare. Um, there's, there was a large immigrant patient population, all of that. Um, so just a different vibe. And, um, 
and uh, different vibe amongst the physicians as well. Um, but sadly, I, and so now by this point I was 36, having twins and sadly, um, I still ran into some of the same um, reactions from my male colleagues, although not from my from female colleagues. And at this point I had female colleagues. Um, and um, one, one older guy said, it actually said, don't you know how to, how birth control works? And it's like, oh. oh my God. <laughs> Cringe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and th this is a man who uh, himself had four children, right? So <laughs> double standards. Um, but yeah, so the boys um, were born and, and that was, um, he asked if I continued to operate. And I, I actually stopped operating uh, at about 34 weeks with the boys because to do laparoscopy at that point, like my arms would get tired because my belly was so big and I would be like, you know, operating at the ends of my arms. <laughs> it's like, I can't do this anymore. I physically can't reach the patient. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. So you operated and worked pretty much until up until delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Until wow. 36 weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then what was your leave with your twins? Well, California law at that point gave six weeks for straightforward deliveries and eight weeks for complicated deliveries. How generous. Yes. And so I got eight weeks off, which um <laughs> not great. Um and the the boys were born in June. And so again, my husband being a, a teacher, we had like a little bit of built-in time to get time um off over the summer. But I remember being so motivated to get my daughter potty trained because I was like, I am not having three kids in diapers. I just no. can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Was. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so it's it's nice the timing worked out with leave and everything, but obviously still stressful going back to work when you have three young kids at home. Um, so what was it like returning? to work in whatever aspect you feel like sharing, whether, you know, having to leave your kids so early or the response from your colleagues, um, how was that for you? Um, yeah. I, and again, this was still at the time in OBGYN, if you will, where the expectation was, is that it, that you would go in to see patients you deliver, like you would round postpartum and all that. So I would, you know, bundle up the three kids into a stroller and like have them park wow. them at the station and wow. <laughs> dash in and see the postpartum patient dash out. Yeah. Um, but um, I have to say, I was, I, I personally was much more satisfied with, um, with my, my job at that point that because uh, I was dealing with patients who, you know, really actually needed care, like um, in a different way, like clinic patient populations uh, that's kind of my my happy zone in terms of um working with in community health and so that really sustained me a lot um and being able to speak spanish with patients and being able to like really provide care for people who otherwise wouldn't get care um that the, that was so meaningful that i think it sustained me um for quite a while um and also i was in my hometown so that you know um, a little bit easier to get support 
and um, yeah. you, know, you know where the grocery store is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious too. So it sounds like you and your family have moved quite a bit because now you're in Boston. Yep. And so how did things work for you in terms of navigating your career, your husband's job as a teacher, your three kids? How did you kind of, you know, navigate all those things and yeah, I guess, how did you end up in Boston too? Kind of <laughs> fast forwarding, like, what was your journey? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, again, my husband's a high school teacher and um, we eventually found that uh, his salary was going to provide childcare outside of, of school, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it became his, it was his reasoning and, um, you know, he was the one who made the decision that he'd rather stay home and raise his own kids than take care of other people's kids or teach other people's mm -hmm. kids. Yeah. And, you know, that was the decision we made and um, it made economic sense. It made um, sense from our family's perspective. Um, and I have to say for my kids, um, they, they had a relationship when they were little with their dad that was really... I think, you know, much more profound than many other um, kids seem to have with their dads, um, certainly than I had with my dad. <laughs> yeah. um, um, I think it was really tough because back in those days, it wasn't that common for men to stay home with kids. So like my husband didn't have like neighborhood support, like, you know, if we went to the park, like he couldn't really hang out with the other moms and that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and so that I think was that was a little bit I know it was isolating for him um but I don't I don't think that either one of us would um uh, would change the decision that we made because yeah. it really helped us to be um mutually supportive of one another and of our kids and really um you know he couldn't help but teach so he taught the kids <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it sounds like too it was absolutely the right decision for you and your family um but I am wondering, you know, you mentioned it wasn't the norm at the time and, you know, medicine and culture being what it is. Did you guys get any outside opinions or comments about kind of how you were choosing to do things in a way that worked best for you? You know, it's an interesting question. I think um, from women colleagues, got it like they understood right it's like oh yeah you'll have somebody at home who you can trust with your kids right um, that is invaluable <laughs> <laughs> right you know you don't have to worry um you don't you can and you know for someone who takes call um you know having built in somebody at home who's going to be there no matter what that uh you know it made sense um i think that more people in our, like our extended family had more issues with it than, than anybody in medicine did. Mm -hmm. um, but my husband's a pretty dis decisive kind of person. And <laughs> Good quality to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we, we moved East actually. Um, and this gets to the, the uh, thing about Santa Barbara is uh that it is a beautiful place, but it also is a place um, like Boston has become and like many places um, uh, where you have kind of a bimodal distribution of income and mm -hmm. 
really, really difficult um, to justify living in a community um, where that kind of um, inequality existed, um, especially um, like trying to explain, you know, um, the unhoused to my kids, like that it was tough. And, and knowing that um, in the public schools there, for example, you know, the white kids went to one high school and the, you know, Latin kids went to a different high school for the most part. And that kind of um, de facto segregation and um, and uh, just the values that were there were things that we didn't want to have our kids raised in. And um, and it was it was I have to say it was different than when I grew up there. It got it definitely got worse over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband's family was in this area, and so we moved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I said to him, you have to find me a job that, you know, community health job where I can work with people who, you know, need help. And we have to live in a cute town near the water. <laughs> <laughs> and How so did that work out for you? <laughs> well, he did that. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, so yeah, so we came here and that's, that's how that happened. Well, I'm glad you're here <laughs> so that I can yeah, meet I you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, you can feel free to share, share whatever it is that you would feel is, um, you'd most like to share with anybody listening. But, um, I feel like, as I mentioned before, when the conversations I've had, we focused a lot on kind of the pregnancy and baby years, mm-hmm. of course, because they are so poignant and life-changing and it, there's a lot that happens there, but I know your kids are older now and I don't know if you have any reflections, thoughts, or anecdotes on kind of what it's like still, still being a mom because it doesn't end, <laughs> but with when your kids are a little bit older, cause I'm sure it brings its own separate challenges. Um, so I would love to hear some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, um, the nice thing about having three kids in with in less than three years, <laughs> they kind of are all in one group. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they, they, you know, went through different stages at the same time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And they were, um, we were not having to deal with different developmental stages, which um, for us worked out great. Um, I know, you know, other people feel like, oh, you know, if they're four years or more apart that, you know, you can like pay different types of attention to different developmental stages. Um, for us, having them all grouped was was great. And um, my one of my sons a while ago said to me, we were talking about it growing up and uh, he says, don't get me wrong. I had the best childhood. But So, yeah, so I think that that them being kind of a cohesive group was, was, um, good. I think, you know, between the ages of like, once the boys were two and a half until they all were like in later high school, actually things were pretty, pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Um, they all went to the same high school. Um, what was most surprising to me was, um, how easily, I uh, adapted to them going off to college. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear, though. <laughs> I know it's a ways down the line, but yeah. Um, and then uh, there was a pandemic, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> um, and um, and then we had some health challenges in our family, and okay. that um, that has been uh, the biggest challenge I have faced. Um, um, I so with my boys, um, one of the one of the twins um, at age. 22 um, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. Um, and he had just started his first job. Mm. And um, he had been living in New York, but then uh, was working remotely and so came back to Boston. Okay. Um, and so actually was here when when we figured out what was going on. And um, he had, you know, like some cervical lymphadenopathy and didn't go away. And I was like, eh, you should go see your pediatrician because, mm -hmm. you know, we don't, and the pediatrician was retiring and um, got connected up with an adult medicine person. And um, they're like, yeah, if it doesn't go away, we should, you know, do some imaging. And um, I was on a Zoom call um, and uh, he calls me, never, you know, the boys never call. And he yeah. calls me okay. and I was like, they texted back. I'm like, I'm on a work call. And he's like, no, mom, this is important. Mm. And um, he, he said, he said, yeah, I just looked at the results of the, of the CT scan. It says it's Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was like, it says that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yep. <laughs> wow. Um, or maybe they said it, it was lymphoma. Yeah. At any rate, yeah. um, it, there was no question about the diagnosis. And, um, you know, again, so fortunate to be in Boston, so yeah. to have um, amazing physicians and facilities and, uh, you know, um, the privilege of having health care and all of that. Um, navigating cancer diagnosis in an adult child is interesting mm. because you're not, you can't make decisions for them. Um, especially as a, uh, not only a mom, but as a physician as well, I'm curious, I'm sure that that added a additional layer. Yeah. And I think part of it is, you know, the desire for, for control or, or, you know, the ability to solve problems for your kids. Right. Of course. You know, I think we all have, um, oh, here's a problem. Here's a solution. Let's make it happen. And you have to let go of that. That's, that is obviously true as your kids become adults anyway, but yeah. this circumstance, it just was so hard because, and, you know, to know the possible ramifications and all of that, it was, um, it's really challenging. And yeah. so he had chemo every two weeks for six months and thank goodness um things seem to have turned out okay with that um but the, you know there were things like he had to get a port and um I actually had like almost a panic attack over that because um my mom had had breast cancer many 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 years ago mm -hmm. and had, had a port and had gotten an infection in it and all I could think about was when I heard that I was like 
oh my God, you have to get a port. Like I was like, oh, yeah, this was, this was the worst thing of the whole, whole thing. Yeah. Isn't it so funny how, like, cause I've, I've had similar experiences myself or you're a physician, you can think logically about the risks of infection, but you can't think logically because right. there's such the emotional component and it's, it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you really, you know, the, um, to be in the room with the physician and to let go of asking those physician questions and to allow your relative in this case, child to ask the questions that they need answered. Um, was the, that was, um, eye-opening. Yeah. I'm impressed that you could hold back and let him do that. I don't know if we're all so capable. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it is hard to sit back in that room and let yeah. take ownership. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. Yeah. It's, um, and yet I felt, you know, we were, the physicians we dealt with were so um, great at anticipatory guidance. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, his, the, the woman who ended up being his PCP is um, uh, a friend of mine. And um she, <laughs> and this is under the uh, heading, things you never thought you'd have a conversation with your child about. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was like, so we need to talk about um, sperm banking. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> do you want me to leave the room for this? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so how is he doing today? Is he doing okay? He's doing great. Thank God. Thank, thank God. Um, he um, has his hair. So he, uh, he finished chemo uh, seven months ago, I guess. Okay. Um, his hair is growing back. It's In fact, the last time I saw him, I'm like, you are going to need a haircut. <laughs> yeah. It's a big milestone. Yeah. Um, awesome. He's He's living independently. He's back in New York, um, okay. and uh, he does come up here for his for his medical care, which I'm again just that's great. It allows us to kind of, you know, keep in touch with all that. Um, mm. The um, yeah, you know, he he didn't ever end up in the ICU. He was only hospitalized a couple of times during the chemo. Um, mm. You know, that was that was okay. And mm -hmm. um, it's interesting in talking to other people who have had children with cancer diagnoses, you know, particularly um, blood cancers. Um, you know, there's uh, Hodgkin's is the easy one. because <laughs> Air quotes for anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the prognosis is so very good and uh, the treatment is these days is remarkably smooth, um, you know, compared to when I trained and saw people going through chemo. It's, it's much, much, much better. So um, I, I, yes, it was a hard journey, but um, I think we're on the other side of it and um, it's, taught me some lessons as a physician and yeah. certainly taught a lot of lessons as a mom. Yeah. Any, any you feel comfortable sharing with us? Um, I think the, um, 
I think the hardest thing, again, was letting go of that physician role of, because we do that with our, with our patients too, right? Like we think we know what the right answer is and really practicing that holistic approach to patient care that we all want to do involves doing our best, giving all the information we can, and then essentially let it go. And, you know, saying this is what I think, but it's your body. You are the person who has to go through this, you know, that's so true. You. Um, so that's, I think it's, it's nothing that we don't know as physicians, but having it brought home again is, um, I think what I will take away from that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad he's doing okay now. I know that's, um, like you said, even though it's the air quotes, easy one, you still never know. So I'm so glad he's doing okay. Yeah. Um, the, um, the other, so interestingly, um, shortly after his, uh, uh, chemo was completed, um, my daughter started having health problems and, um, turned out to have a, have actual Cushing's disease, which is, uh, another, another trip entirely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and ended up having somewhat urgent, uh, surgery for a rapidly pituitary oh, wow. adenoma. Wow. And, um, yeah. And that was, and Cushing's is such an interesting disease for women, um, because, of all the physical stigmata and, you know, as a mom of girls, um, you can't, there are certain things that are somewhat taboo to bring up oh, <laughs> One yeah. of them, their weight. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I will say I, I am not a mom of girls. And plus my baby is only 11 months old, but I have three <laughs> sisters. So I am well aware of the things that mothers are not allowed to not say allowed to their to daughters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even if you notice some physical changes and, uh, you know, my poor daughter, she had every single one of them. Um, but um, again, being privileged to have the medical background to recognize what was going on um, and um, to um, advocate for her, you know, Cushing's is, a, is one of those diseases that can really gaslight people. Um, oh, you know, you're just putting on a little bit of weight there well, you, what do you expect? If you put on weight, you're going to have some hypertension, your sugar, you know, you eat a lot of snacks. I think all of those things really can, can lead to medical gaslighting. And for a young woman, um, who, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. My daughter is completely capable of advocating for herself, but, but at the same time, if you're told over and over again, that this is the, you know, well, are you sure that's what's going on? Um, you really are confronted with a lot of the, the residual misogyny that exists in medicine and, um, yeah. So I'm curious, what, that is a different journey. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what was your, role in that one. Cause I feel like it sounds like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like with your 
son, it was of course very challenging, but it was a little bit more clear. He had a clear diagnosis and it was hard, but there wasn't as much question. Whereas with your daughter, like, you know, I guess kind of two questions, which is before she was diagnosed, did you have suspicions and how did you broach that with her trying to be her mom and a physician, but not her physician? And then once she was, you know, feeling like she was getting gaslighted, how did you support her in a way that gave her own agency, but, you know, you still have this medical knowledge and you just want to jump in. So I, I would love to hear more about how that played for the two of you. Yeah. I mean, I think that to some degree that was, you know, different kid, different, different relationship. Um, and, um, my daughter and I are very, very close. And, um, uh, I think she, uh, was much more, um, able to like, she delved much more into the medical literature <laughs> than my son did, I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, but um, in terms of being able to interact with her about about uh, what I thought might be going on, I, I really struggled with that. And it took, it actually was until she brought it up with me that she thought something was wrong with her health that I was like, okay, well, yeah, you might be right about that. I think we need to get some tests done. Um, let's, you know, let's, and again, thank goodness she was here in town and I, we could, um, you know, and this gets into the whole privilege thing of being a physician. Like I, she went to her PCP and her PCP set her up with an endocrinologist and the endocrinologist and I had taught a class together. And so we knew when it like, you know, that kind of, um, um, privilege is, is it's hard. If your if your kid needs help, how can you not take advantage of it? But then recognizing that not everyone has that advantage. And even though we're in a town that is overflowing with doctors, it's still not easy for everyone to get care. Right, right, exactly. And and to that point, she had just turned 26. So she was Ah. no longer on my medical insurance. And, um, you know, thanks Obama, because she was able to get onto, you know, whatever the Obamacare is. And, mm-hmm. and that, to my knowledge, has <laughs> covered everything. Which is That's amazing. Amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, but along those lines, too, um, they initially had her going to an institution that I'm not affiliated with. And, um, and we met with the surgeon there and that was all great. And then they're like, oh, you are not in our network and navigating that when you know that somebody needs urgent surgery is that's tough. And, um, and so that, that I think is how I was able to really be an advocate for her was being able to go through all of that and kind of like, and again, I'm at a place in my career and I have the the support in my, in my department that I was able to kind of drop everything and, you know, deal with this for a week. And that, uh, you know, again, just so thankful for the, the way that the stars align with that. Um, but uh, she also, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think probably just leaving it at that we have a pretty close relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you don't have to share any sensitive medical information, but how is she doing now? She also is doing fabulous. Good. Yeah. God, yeah. I'm glad. Shout out to female neurosurgeons. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I'm sure that's not an easy road either. Maybe I'll right. yeah. to be interviewed on the podcast. <laughs> um, well, I think we are unfortunately coming up towards the end of our time, but I um, would love to just ask if you have, uh, I know we touched on a few things here, but if you have anything else that you want to share reflections from being a physician, a mom, and particularly within the field of OBGYN, if there's anything important that you think we missed on, um, I'd, I'd be happy to hear. Um, I think one of the privileges that I appreciate about being an OBGYN and being a mom is um, the uh, the immediacy of bonding that women's birth stories provide. And I probably, I, I, I don't know, I may hear more of them than the average person, but, <laughs> um, but you know, you, you go to a party or you're, uh, you're sitting around in the kitchen and the stories come out and it's just such a, um, a way of supporting one another, of bonding, of um, knowing that we all have gone through really hard times and really great times and that it's worth it. And um, that just the privilege of hearing those stories and, um, you know, being there for one another is, I, I think it just makes the journey worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. I think that's beautiful. I think uh, it's hard to fully describe and I don't think I understood before having my son, but now it's like you have this immediate bond and I'll speak to him and I've never met before, but we're, you know, so quick to share these stories. Um, and you do just feel this instant connection. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't until after. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. And again, um, I don't think I prior to this had sincerely thanked you enough for your kindness in your phone call to me. And I will remember to pay that forward to my female colleagues. So thank you so much. And thank you for sharing all of your personal stories. I know um, uh, they're, it's not always easy experiences. So I appreciate you sharing them. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And um, I'm super excited to have uh, to traveled the last year with you and yeah me uh, too I'm gonna miss it I know. <laughs> I'm looking forward yeah. to what you do with your career yeah absolutely we'll stay in touch thank you once again for listening it means so much to have your support if you liked today's episode please share like subscribe leave a comment and if you think you might be a great guest or know of someone who would be a great guest please reach out to me at momsofmedicine at gmail.com